turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Peter tells this crowd that the last days are not only characterized by the Holy Spirit being poured out on believers, that's part of it, but it's also a time that will be characterized by God's judgment. Because unlike the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, this event, what Peter is now talking about, it hasn't happened yet. It's part of the last days. It will take place in the future at the end of this time period. But Peter, at this point, he doesn't know that. And we still don't know how long the church age will last. But God has revealed to Peter and to us what will happen at the end. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is concluding his first message in a short series from Acts chapter 2 about the sermon Peter preached on Pentecost. It just may be the greatest sermon ever. In his defense of the faith, Peter quoted the prophet Joel, who said, It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Here's Pastor Steve now to explain. The key to interpreting the prophecy of Joel and interpreting what Peter is now explaining is to understand what is meant in the very first words of verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, God says. This is key, so I would encourage you to write this down. The expression, the last days, that's an Old Testament phrase, and it refers to the time when Messiah comes. This is just a common theme spoken often by the prophets in the Old Testament. So the coming of Messiah inaugurates the last days. However, What the prophets did not explicitly state was that while there is one Messiah, he would come two times. He wouldn't come just once. He would come two times. First time he would come, as we sang, as the Lamb of God, dying for the sins of sinners on the cross. He would be an atoning sacrifice for sinners. Second time he would come as the reigning king to establish his kingdom on earth as he judges unbelievers, but also establishes his kingdom for believers. And in between these two comings, there would be a long, at least we know, 2,000 year interval. We call it the church age. That's the time we're living in right now. The Old Testament never spoke of the church. We call it the church age. It's a time now when God is saving many Gentiles some Jewish people, but mostly Gentiles, as he builds his body, the church. Now listen closely. Contrary to what some people think, the last days, those last days do not refer to the days immediately before Christ's second coming. 
We often think that. We hear last day, so it must be the last time he comes. Not so. Rather, they refer to the time period that began with Christ's first coming. It will end when he returns to set up his kingdom on earth. That is to say, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, the last days also began. And those days continue even now. So it is correct to say that we are presently in the last days, even though those last days have gone on for over 2,000 years. And, and this corresponds to exactly what other New Testament letters and Bible teachers say, and apostles and prophets. Listen to 1 John 2.18. Children, John said, it is the last hour. Now, he used the term hour, but the same thought. It's the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. John said, it's the last hour. That was written 2,000 years ago. 1 Peter 1.20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Last times, last days, synonymous. Hebrews 1, verse 2. In these last days, the writer to the Hebrews says, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So the last days, folks, they've been going on for over 2,000 years. And what Peter is saying is that what was happening on the day of Pentecost, what this crowd was observing, is exactly what the prophet Joel predicted would happen during the last days. And then Peter just proceeds to describe and explain and clarify what was happening before their, their very eyes by quoting the prophet Joel. He says in verse 17 and following, it shall be in the last days, God says... Here's what's happening. I'll pour forth my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now, essentially, what Peter is saying is that just as Joel, the prophet, predicted, these are the last days. They've begun. And therefore, God, just as he said he would do in the last days, what he's doing now is pouring forth the Holy Spirit on all mankind. That's what you're observing. You're observing exactly what what Joel said would happen. God is pouring forth his spirit on all of mankind. And by all of mankind, Peter doesn't mean every single person on the planet. He means all of God's people. All of God's people. He clarifies this by mentioning all kinds of God's people, irrespective, for example, of their gender. He he says his spirit will be poured out on sons and daughters, meaning male and female. He says the spirit will be poured out irrespective of their age. He says young men and old men, and irrespective of their social status. He says even slaves, people of all social classes. This is basically the same thing that Jesus promised his disciples when he said that they would all be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Instead of a select few individuals having the Holy Spirit come upon them, which is exactly what happened in Old Testament times, now in these days, in these last days, in the church age, the Holy Spirit has been given to all of God's people. That's what this is about. So what Peter is explaining to this crowd is that what was happening before their very eyes is that the last days have arrived. And therefore, God has begun to do what he 
predicted he would do. He's pouring out his spirit upon his people. And that is why these 120 Galilean Jews are speaking languages they've never previously studied because they are actually prophesying in the sense that they are declaring God's word. Remember, they're speaking forth the mighty deeds of God. And what's more, he says, some will declare his word. They didn't do it at that point, but they will declare in these last days his word by visions and dreams, which God will give them. So let me explain. Let me explain. Before the canon of scripture was complete, God did communicate his revelation to certain individuals through the gift of tongues, which as we've seen is human languages, speaking in human languages, as well as visions and dreams. Certainly the apostle Paul speaks of visions that were were given to him. Peter had visions given to him. But listen, once the last book of the New Testament was written, those revelatory languages, those visions, those dreams, they stopped. And we know this because in the New Testament letter, the little letter of Jude, right before the book of Revelation, Jude states that we are to contend earnestly for what he calls the faith, which was, he says, once and for all, handed down to the saints. And what he means by this, when he says the faith, definite article there, not our personal faith, the faith, the body of New Testament truth, the New Testament revelation of God embodied in the scriptures as a unit. He says it was once and for all, meaning it happened once, it's not happening again. It was once and for all delivered, given to God's people. And now it's finished, it's complete. We are never to add to it. We are never to subtract from it. We have God's revelation to us. So today, although we are still given the Holy Spirit without measure, we don't receive or speak new revelation. We only declare what God has already revealed in his word. Nothing more, nothing less. So what Peter then is explaining to this crowd is that the last days have come. The days of Messiah have arrived, and the proof of this is that God has begun to pour out his spirit on all of his people, and not a few select ones. And that's the answer to their question back in verse 12. What does this mean? This is what it means. The last days are here, and God is pouring out his spirit on his people. But listen, that's not all Peter says. That's not all Peter tells him about the last days. Notice he goes on in verses 19 and 20. Notice what he says. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Now, he is continuing to quote from Joel chapter 2. This is still the same passage. And Peter tells this crowd that the last days are not only characterized by the Holy Spirit being poured out on believers. That's part of it. But it's also a time that will be characterized by God's judgment. Now listen carefully. Because unlike the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, this event, what Peter is now talking about, it hasn't happened yet. It has not been fulfilled. It's part of the last days. It will take place in the future at the end of this time period. But Peter, at this point, 
He doesn't know that. He doesn't know that there's going to be at least a 2,000-year stretch of time called the church age. So he's speaking as if it's imminent because it could have been. What Peter has done in the sermon is he's told them about both the beginning of the last days and the end of the last days. But the end of the last days hasn't happened yet. See, what Joel predicted and what Peter is now quoting is God's coming judgment. In fact, the expression, notice at the end of verse 20, he uses this expression, the day of the Lord. That's another very common Old Testament expression. It is used to describe God's judgment. The day of the Lord means God's judgment. But it could apply to any of God's judgments at any time. But the specific judgment that Joel has in mind and that Peter is quoting and he has in mind is God's judgment at the time of Jesus Christ's return, what we would call his second coming. Notice once again the language that Joel uses to describe this particular judgment. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Now, everything we read here fits the description of events that are connected to Christ's return, his second coming. He'll come back to judge the earth. He'll come back then to establish his kingdom on earth. For example, notice, Joel says that there will be signs on the earth. And he describes them, blood, fire, and vapor. And you know what? Many times as we read through the book of Revelation, we see, we see this happening. We see this predicted. That just prior to Christ's return, during what the Bible calls the seven-year tribulation period, there will be much bloodshed on the earth, meaning much death, human death. For example, Revelation 6, 8 says this. John says, I looked and behold an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, And Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, and with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. John is telling us that in that day, the tribulation period, one-fourth of the earth's population will be killed. That's bloodshed. Again, we read in Revelation 9, 15, and the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. So now a third of the living population killed. Also, the book of Revelation speaks of fire on the earth during this time. Revelation 8, verses 7 through 10, the first sounded, and this is talking about certain judgments, the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures who were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Also, in the time of the tribulation, it'll be a time of vapor on the earth. Meaning what? Meaning smoke, the vapor of smoke. We read, for example, Revelation 9, verses 1 through 3. 
Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. A frightening description of what's going to happen on the earth. Those are signs on the earth of Christ's coming. But there's more. Because the day of the Lord, according to Joel and to Peter, also speaks of wonders in the sky above. Not only on the earth, but in the sky above. The sun, we read, will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. Meaning that the sun will not give off its normal light, and the moon will take on a reddish blood-like appearance. I don't think it means the moon's... Literally blood, it just is going to appear red like blood. These are the same kinds of cosmic upheavals in the heavens that our Lord, Jesus, spoke of to describe conditions in connection to his second coming. This is what he told his disciples in Matthew 24, 29 and 30. He said, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now Jesus said that just before he returns, there will be changes, upheavals in the, in the heavens. Specifically, says the earth will grow dark. Why? Because God will shut off the light from the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then he's going to light up the darkened sky. He's going to light up the darkened sky as he comes back in all of his Shekinah glory, as he returns to earth from heaven. And what will be the response of the people on earth as they see this? Jesus said that they will mourn. Why will they mourn? Because they know that he's returning to judge them for their sinfulness, their rebellion, their wickedness, and their disobedience to God. And they will weep because the time is up. He's coming to judge them. And that's exactly what this day is about that Joel predicted. God's judgment. And that's why Peter, notice how Peter closes this point of his sermon in verse 21. It's just brilliant. Verse 21, he said, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, although judgment from God is coming, those who turn to the Lord for his salvation will be saved from this judgment. He's just told them about judgment, but you can be saved. Now, Peter purposely states this. He didn't, he didn't need to quote this part, but he did. Because he wants the crowd to understand that their greatest need is not to, to know what's going on. Although he addressed that. Their greatest need is to be saved from their sins. They're guilty. They need to be saved from the coming judgment of God. And so he tells them that they need to call upon the name of the Lord to save their souls And the one he's referring to, the name of the Lord upon whom they need to call for salvation, is none other than Jesus Christ. That's exactly where Peter, folks, is headed with this sermon. As we pick it up next week, we'll see that the next point in Peter's sermon is to explain to them that the name of the Lord is none other than Jesus of Nazareth, 
who's their Messiah. He's the one they need to call upon to save because there is no other name given amongst men by which you can be saved. Now listen, judgment is coming. You may be very comfortable now, but God's word is true. Just as Joel predicted that the spirit would be poured out on God's people, and it was, just as Joel said it would be. So he predicted that judgment would be poured out on all who have disregarded Jesus Christ, and it will be. So before it's too late, if you don't know Christ, turn from your sin of rebellion. Recognize it as rebellion. Recognize it as disobedience to God himself. Call upon Christ to save you. Trust that his death on the cross was for you. Believe on him. Bank your eternal destiny on Christ's death, his blood shed. And then you'll experience eternal life and he'll change your life now and he'll forgive your sins and when you die, you'll go to heaven. And if Christ is already your savior, then you know what? What do you, what do you pull from, from a sermon like this? You, you pull this, say, thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. You may not speak in tongues. You don't speak in tongues. You, you don't have new revelation from God, but you have the Holy Spirit who empowers you every day. You have the Holy Spirit who, who clarifies and gives you understanding of his word. You have the Holy Spirit who comforts you and strengthens you and, and deepens your walk with Christ and conforms you to the very image of Christ. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. And thank God for the completed word of God. You don't need new revelation. You just need to understand the revelation he's given us. I don't need anything new. I just want to understand what he's already given Thank God for the completed word of God. You don't need dreams. You don't need visions. You've got everything. And ask him to help you when you're attacked and you're mocked for your faith. Help him to help you to explain the gospel and to do it with gentleness and respect. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you that in your word, you're so clear. We thank you for this great sermon that you inspired Peter to give. Lord, it answers questions, but it also, it also draws us to Christ. Lord, we know that judgment is coming. We know that, that for some that seems so absurd because they're very comfortable now and they can't imagine a world of blood and death and fire and vapor and these signs in the heavens, but your word is true, and whether we can imagine it or not, it will come to pass. I pray for any here, any who might be watching or listening, I pray that if they don't know Christ, Lord, that they'll call upon you to be saved, that they'll recognize their sinfulness, they'll recognize what the cross is about, that Christ died for sinners like them, and that they'll turn to him, trusting him alone for salvation. And I pray, Lord, for the rest of us who do know you. I pray that, that you'll strengthen us in our faith in the word of God, that it is true. Your word is true. Even as we see this prophesied eight centuries before Peter explained things, and yet it exactly what you said would happen. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells me, who indwells my brothers and sisters in Christ. He's sort of the forgotten member, the overlooked member, and the neglected member of the Trinity. We don't want to focus so much on him because we recognize that the Spirit's ministry is to turn us to Christ. But we we do want to acknowledge and thank you for him. Thank you that you, Father, have sent him to indwell us. And we pray that you'll help us to be mindful that he lives within us. We indeed are the temple, the Spirit of God. And so, Father, we also pray that when we're 
challenged and attacked for our faith. Lord, help us to not be defensive. Help us to be kind and gracious, for we represent you, to speak with gentleness, but very firmly to explain the gospel and the hope that lies within us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Indeed, judgment is coming, and it will be terrifying for the unsaved. But Jesus' death on the cross is more than sufficient to keep anyone who trusts in Him from having to face that terrible day. On the contrary, it'll be the best day of your life. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside online at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. You can also call that number to request a free audio CD with the sermon Pastor Steve just finished. Ask for Message 11, Peter's Sermon About Pentecost, Part 1. That phone number again is 727-441-1714. Or you can stream or download all of our broadcasts from the Message Archive page at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We've also provided a convenient and secure online giving page so that if you've been blessed listening to Verse by Verse, you can help to finance our production and broadcast costs. We're grateful for every giver and every gift. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Pastor Steve has told us now how Peter revealed to his listeners that they, and we, are in the last days.